Welcome to Routing for Success, the show where we interview today's top logistics professionals, giving them a platform to share their stories and best practices. Today, we're talking with Liz Litsis and Vineet Singh from NorCal Logistics. Liz and Vineet have pulled off an incredible growth story. In the last six years, they went from operating only six daily routes to more than 60. That's a 10x increase in only six years. In this episode, we talk about important things that you have to consider when you're looking at buying a new CSA. We get into creating clear segregation of duties between AO and BC responsibilities. We talk about fleet strategy and some differences between buying new and used vehicles. And finally, Liz gives her perspective on keeping a positive attitude as a FedEx contractor in today's environment. I am pleased to give you my conversation with Liz and Vineet from NorCal Logistics. This episode is brought to you by AP Equipment Financing. AP Equipment Financing can bring you the best deals on step vans, panel vans, cutaways, and more. Deliver them straight to your facility and finance them with low monthly installment options. Click the link in the description to this episode or visit APFinancing.com. All right, we are here with Liz and Vineet from NorCal Logistics. Guys, thank you for being here. Hey, how's it going? Thank you for having us. Yeah, thank you. So Liz, we've been trying to make this happen for a long time. I mean, I think that you had approached me, gosh, maybe like a year ago. You said, hey, I'm, I'm loving the podcast. I'd like to come on at some point. We're finally making it work. So it's good to finally uh, get this one on the, on the books. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about NorCal Logistics. Liz, why don't we start with you? So Liz, you're the authorized officer, the owner of NorCal Logistics. And then Vineet, you're the BC, the business contact who handles the lion's share of the day-to-day operations, as Liz has described it to me. But Liz, why don't you just give us a little bit about of your background? What's the history of NorCal Logistics? Sure. I got into this business, gosh, I think I was 22 or 23. Got my first contracts when I was 24. Been in the business for 19 years and slowly growing it each year. Um, it wasn't until this guy came along what, five years ago, that we really decided to explode with growth, I would say. Liz, did you start with RPS? Or was that like right no. after? Yeah, it wasn't quite RPS. It was not, It was still FedEx ground at that point. But it was back in the days where we had time off contractors. That's what I did. Um, I was the time off contractor where other contractors would pay for me to service their area back in the days where we had like supplemental routes. So long time ago. Okay. And, and tell us a little bit about the state of your business today. Pickup and delivery versus line haul. How many CSAs, how many routes are you running day to day? We're all pickup and delivery. Vineet, how many trucks do we have now? 65. Yeah. So we are in three buildings with three different CSAs. Okay. Awesome. Vineet, tell us a little bit about your story. How, how did you end up meeting Liz and, and how did you get involved with the business? I've been here almost, it should be six years in March or May, I can't remember. But honestly, I started in FedEx as a driver. I I was bored at work one day and, oh, well, let's apply for this, see what happens. And little did I know it was going to get to this level, but uh, I've been been a driver all my life. So um, yeah, that's kind of my story. That's how I started. (laughs) Now, you said you were bored at work one day and you applied so you were employed as a driver and, a, and, it, no, and applied I was for the a, position? <laughs> I was a custodial manager at that time, and I was just sitting okay. my office board, and uh, the opportunity was there. I applied and got interviewed, got hired as a, I believe I started as a part-time driver, 
and then we just move from there. So lots of the people who tune into this podcast, Routing for Success, they're either interested in becoming a FedEx contractor or they're already in the business. And so a lot of our listeners, they want to know, how is your business organized? What are you doing today that's working well? What are some lessons learned? And uh, we were just talking before we came on the air. I love the unstructured format of having a podcast. We don't have a script that we're sticking to. But let's talk about NorCal Logistics. So you'd mentioned that you're 60 plus trucks. Liz, in talking with you before this, you know, you had explained that for the most part, Vanit handles the lion's share of the day-to-day operations of the business. There's still a few things that you're responsible for. I think the payroll is one of them. Why don't, let's start there, actually. Why don't you tell us a little bit about what's your segregation of duties between the two of you to make sure that all the packages get delivered and that the business keeps on moving? So my role, we joke around that I'm the money lady. That's how everyone lovely, <laughs> lovingly <laughs> refers to me. So anything to do with payroll, timesheets, scheduling, any of that sort of thing, needing time off of work, doctor's appointments, that's all going to come through me. I, I touch on a few other things. I help with hiring. So I want to make sure that I talk to every single person that we end up hiring. Um, I run orientation so that they have a clear set of expectations before they even walk into a building. I'm sure I do more things than that, but that's pretty much my wheelhouse right now. Back in the day, <laughs> when when we first started um, working together, and as Vanit moved into a management role, because of our company size, we were much smaller than uh, I think we were at five or six trucks. Yeah, when I started, it was six. Yeah. Yeah. So it was very, I would I would say, messy. We were in each other's business. We were both managing. We were trying to figure out roles. It was very confusing and complicated. So now that we have this very clear division, it, it's real nice because when someone comes to Vanit about money, he can say, not my department. I'm going to Liz. Okay, Vanit, tell us a little bit about what your role looks like today. So anything that has nothing to do with legal or money, that's all mine. I, I handle uh, planning DRO, anything on the road from dispatch till the trucks return back, maintenance, sending the vehicles up, all of that is mine. So anything, I want to say day-to-day operations is all mine. I, Liz handles all the hiring, so it's like just none of mine. Training would be me. It's literally the best way I could describe it as legal and money is financial is all Liz. Everything else would be me. From truck to drivers on the road is me. The other thing we've found out that works better is scheduling. She handles all of that. Um, so even when they come to me about hours or whatever it may be up, oh, nope, no, that, that, that's her. Go to her. And, and Vanit, when I was talking to Liz leading up to this, you know, and we talked about getting her on the podcast. She said, you know, I, I'd love to do a podcast. I'm, I'm, I'm down to do a podcast, but you've got to get Vanit on. I, I think that would be, that would make for a better episode because Vanit gets a lot of the work done. And look, you, you've been with the company for six years, you said? Almost, yes. Okay, almost six years. When you started, you only had six trucks. And after six years, you're at 60, more than 60. So you've 10x the size of the business in six short years. So you've obviously had a substantial impact. Tell us a little bit about that path, that growth path. You know, again, a lot of the people tuning in are going to say, man, I've got six routes. I'd love to be at 60. How do I get there? So tell us a little bit about how you got there. It was definitely a culmination between the two of us. So <laughs> It's hard 
to just jump right in. So I'll go back a little bit. When Vanit came on as a manager, again, we were five, six trucks and we were struggling. We were having employee issues. We couldn't get employees to come in. We were working. Him and I were working till, you know, sometimes 10 o'clock at night. When he came on as a manager, he decided we will never fail in service. And since he made that commitment, we never have. So we both dedicated, hey, whatever it takes. And we've had some long, hard weeks and months rolling from there into um, our station, took on the e-commerce and did the colo thing. Um, so that merge, you know, that grew us. And seven then days. Yep, seven <laughs> days grew us. And then again, COVID grew us. Once we made it through COVID, we were like, can handle this. We're solid in our foundation. And so that's when we decided, okay, let's look outside and let's see what's out there. And just the opportunity arose where um, we found two different CSAs and two different buildings fairly close to us. And I started chipping away at, okay, can I make the money side of this work? And he started thinking about the logistics, managers, drivers, that sort of thing. And it was very much a collaboration, but still staying in our own departments. I don't think we could have made it through that. It was the way it all landed. We started one CSA, stood up exactly 30 days from standing up with that CSA. We stood up with the next one. I don't recommend that for anyone. But again, Thanks to him and his strong team, we were able to make it through that. But that was that was some interesting times. <laughs> yeah. you, know, you had mentioned that there were two opportunities in two different terminals, which were nearby as for two different CSAs. Were those opportunities that were presented to you by FedEx? Like, did another contractor fail and there was an opportunity for you to come in and take over those areas free of charge? Or was this a situation where you were actually buying the rights to those CSAs from another contractor? who was operating there. We actually ended up purchasing both. There was no free opportunities from FedEx. I have in the past put in for those and just have never gotten awarded that. So we thought this was a good way to go, seeing where we were standing and, and the opportunities that presented themselves. Um, we liked the CSAs a lot. And so we went ahead and jumped in and, and did that. Can, can we talk about that a little bit more? Because, you know, you know, again, you were running a very small operation. You know, I, I think that 500 stops or five routes is kind of the minimum that FedEx will even allow you to have when you're operating. And you went from that to taking on two more CSAs. You know, I, I think that a lot of people, when they look at CSA opportunities, they sometimes don't have a frame of reference of, is this viable? You know, if I pay, you know, on top of having to supply trucks and bring in staff, you know, and I, I had mentioned free opportunities. There's no such thing as a free opportunity. I mean, every CSA takes some amount of money to get started. But particularly when you're looking at buying the rights to a CSA from another contractor, you're writing them a big old check that just goes right into their pocket. And now you're thinking about how do I recoup that or how do I pay off the SBA loan? So I guess my question is, how did you look at those operations first from a money perspective, which Liz, I think would be your department. And then Vanita, I want to hear about what did the operations look like and how did you determine whether or not it was a good good opportunities to go after? But Liz, let's start with you on the money side. Again, we were lucky. So what was it, last Christmas? We were awarded a DCA contract with FedEx. So that was a free one. Um, we had done some contingency work for FedEx the year prior and they liked 
how we operated. We just get the packages delivered um, and we have good customer satisfaction. So they awarded us a DCA contract. Somehow, some way, it just worked out that we were able to work in the same buildings in somewhat the same areas that we ended up purchasing. So we got a really nice opportunity to kind of see how these businesses operated before we even took them on. To answer your question about the financials, I they provided me financial information. And then I actually sat down with my CPA and we went line by line, seeing where we could cut maybe where they might be spending a little bit too much money and just kind of diving through all of that. I, I love my CPA. He's a great resource. And so we did sit down and, and hash through all those numbers together. Yeah, because I, a lot of people seem to think about, you know, is it a fair price for the business, which, you know, you look at the market, you know, okay, well, you know, maybe their EBITDA is some amount and I'm going to pay whatever the multiple is three and a half times that. Is that market? Is that fair? Sure. But it seems like the more important question to ask is, if I pay this amount for the business, am I going to be able to succeed, right? Is is the business profitable enough for me to make up that purchase amount? So you'd mentioned, Liz, that you, you went through line by line with your CPA. What were some of the questions or what were some of the specific things that you were looking at that kind of clued you into the fact that, yeah, this was actually a good opportunity that would be viable? I always go to payroll first. That's always my biggest one and how many overtime hours people are working. Being in California, we have lots of rules here. And um, I know other contractors in other areas can pay like by the day, by the stop. Um, I'm very conservative. I don't ever want to break the law. I pay by the hour and I pay overtime. It's just how we re- operate the business just to be the most safe. So I went through um, and looked at their payroll and saw an opportunity there. And then secondly, I sat down also with Vineet to look at the service area. Um, he can talk more about this, but to see what the opportunity was, maybe we can run one or two less routes because then that's also going to be a reduction in fuel and payroll. And I definitely want to get into the operations of these CSAs with you, Vinny. But one last question, Liz, before we move on to that. Can you tell us a little bit about how did you fund those acquisitions? Did you have money saved up and it was just all capital from your own pocket? Or did you utilize any kind of debt, whether it be an SBA loan or otherwise? So one, I did an SBA loan for... Um, I. That was the only way I could make that one happen. And then the second one was a little bit structured a little bit differently. So I, I purchased all the vehicles and then I did a promissory note with that one. Was there any negotiation there? I mean, so a promissory note to the seller, which, you know, as a seller, every seller is different, of course, but you have to think that most of them are hoping to sell the business, put the money in their bank account you know, maybe there's some transition and training period, but the money side is done, but they were willing to carry a portion of that back in the form of a promissory note. Was that an easy sell or did that take some convincing on your part? They were open to the idea of the promissory note. I think they were motivated to get out of operations. So waiting a little while, and it was a smaller promissory note. I think that was enticing to them was be able to kind of offload this burden for them. Um, where we saw it as an opportunity. It was an investor. He was really struggling with, you know, pouring money into the business and not, I don't want to say he didn't understand because obviously he did. He understands the money side of it, but there's a lot that goes in day to day. And I think some investors have so many things going on 
that this consumes so much of your time that if you're not watching it all the time um, and kind of nurturing it, it can become overwhelming. So I think his motivation was, I'm ready. I need to offload this burden for me. I'll take a small promissory note on the flip side. All right, Vineet, when you first looked at these other CSAs and you were looking at the trucks and the employees and the way that they operated your business or their business, what were your initial impressions? Well, kind of shocked that they survived that long. <laughs> it's, it just, there are so many opportunities in both of them to, I mean, one has tremendous amount of growth that's come in. The other one, it was not saying that we have fixed it entirely, but their trucks needed work. The way the amount of routes they were running was just way too many. It wasn't managed properly. And those were the things that kind of stood out the most. And and just looking at the area, driving the area, we, we drove both CSAs. I mean, completely from every corner. Just looking at everything, we're like, well, okay, this is, it can't be that hard. It's not that difficult. It's just not managed properly. That's all. Someone did not put in enough time, blood, sweat, and tears into it to make it work. That's all. You're the second person to mention, uh, Vineet, that you took the time to actually drive the route before you made a final decision on it. The last, I, I think the last contractor I interviewed, Mike Meyer, this was from a few weeks ago, he had said the exact same thing, that they never consider buying a route or buying a CSA until they've driven it and just get a gut feeling for the mm-hmm. area. Would you recommend that to anyone considering buying a CSA? 100%. Yes, definitely. I second him. <laughs> yes, definitely. We drove it together. So we drove both CSAs together, kind of just taking it in and also taking some notes. Um, if you're going to buy something that has a little bit of country in it, you need to know and then think about, oh, when it rains, we don't get snow here. But when it rains, this is going to turn to mud, you know, and what that looks like on his side to figure out how to get those packages delivered. So 100%, you got to, you got to drive that. I mean, the first thing we instantly changed was the type of vehicle they were using. It's like, you can't put a P1000 in a country where you know, it's going to rain and get stuck. It's cheaper for us to tow a van out. And a van could fit everywhere. <laughs> so, you know, a lot of things you have to drive. I, I, bl- buying blind is just like, you know, writing a check to somebody and never looking at the vehicles either. Same thing. <laughs> we actually looked at another CSA in the LA area. And we, that same day we drove down, talked to the owner, talked to some of their crew. And then we ended up driving the whole CSA. And it was at that point that we were like, good opportunity, not quite for us. But if we didn't drive that CSA, how do you know what you're getting? What were some of the specific things that you noticed that really turned you off to that CSA? (laughs) They had a major port that the driver would have to hang around for two hours, two and a half hours to get in. The other thing was the growth. There was not, I I didn't see any growth in that CSA. So it was kind of like, you know, you're, you're buying as this, you, you, you're never going to get any bigger in this unless you purchase more surrounding areas. So that was my biggest thing. You'd mentioned growth, Vinny. What are some indicators for growth? Are you just talking about hopping on Google and saying, Hey, what was the population five years ago? What's the population today? Or are there other things that you're looking at? For me, I, I look at that. And the other thing is when we're driving around, I like to look out for where there might be building the direction they're going. Our biggest one, the recent one, we're driving in the area and we're like, wow, like 
there are probably going to be another 200 houses built within the next three months here. And there's still construction going on. All those things. I mean, if we didn't drive, we wouldn't have known. So now we plan for it, knowing that we will be adding on more vehicles here very soon because those houses will be done. Okay. So population growth, but you talked about construction. So, okay. So growth is the area growing. That's one thing that you're looking for when you're looking at a CSA opportunity. You'd also mentioned terrain. You know, is this more, are we on paved roads? If we're not on paved roads, what does that look like? Are they using the right type of vehicles? That's another thing that you look at when you're driving the CSA. And you talked a little bit about having the right vehicle for the right type of route. Is there anything else when you're driving these routes and you're trying to get a feel for it and consider whether or not this will be doable? Is there anything else specific that you're looking for? I mean, depending on what you're asking there, but if you're looking at, there are two different things, residential versus industrial area, right? So a residential is more attract attractive to us than, and, than a whole complete industrial area. So, and we have two different monsters here, three actually. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and they're all completely different from each other. I know Liz was more attracted towards one and I was towards the other one. Just because when we looked at both of them, I looked at one and I went, wow, we could easily fix this. Although it wasn't that easy and hasn't been that easy. (laughs) (laughs) And the other one, we're like, oh, well, this will be very easy to operate. And all it needs is someone to just watch it and micromanage it. And we are, we micromanage everything. We do. Yeah. To speak to that, you know, you can look at the PCAT and you can talk to the other contractor and, oh, this is our percentage of e-commerce versus commercial. But what kind of commercial? So we have heavy industrial in one of our areas. So it is multiple packages backing up to a dock. You know, you've got to have someone who's super strong and who can do that day in and day out. Versus the other one, they do have some commercial, but it's like smaller um, strip malls where you might be popping in delivering five or six packages. Well, that's still considered commercial, but it's a much easier delivery. And then they have a ton of residential. From my side of things, I mean, again, the residential was very attractive to me because it's easy on the driver. It's fast delivery. You know, if you have during Christmas, you know, that CSA explodes And the drivers can handle it. Yes, we put on more resources, of course, but they can handle much more than that heavy, the heavy commercial because their trucks are already maxed out every single day. So that's the type of thing, like the actual type of business. And again, with the growth, with the one CSA, with them growing, seeing, okay, these houses stop here. And then there is open land for miles and miles and miles. Well, that's going to turn into houses. And then the other thing that we like to do is what's the furthest point? So from the station, how long does it take to get to the furthest point of the CSA? That is something that we don't utilize very often, but we like to know that because we always go worst case scenario. If you break down from the furthest point of the CSA, how long is it going to take this guy to get out there to come help? Or if you have an express same day pickup, (laughs) <laughs> right, I, I imagine that would come into play. How how big? Slowly coming to us. <laughs> Have you taken on any express volume yet? Is, is that has that come to your buildings yet? Very minimal. Yeah, we have express, but it's the day servants. Yeah, no time sensitive yet. Yeah, 
So Vineet, let's talk more about the operations of the business. So you saw a little bit of a turnaround opportunity. You were able to go in and identify some ways that they were maybe not running the business, uh, you know, totally efficiently or the best that they could be. Uh, tell us a little bit more about that. What were some of the specific things that you were eyeing that you wanted to go in and turn around? Like she said, the, the benefit was that we actually delivered in these areas during peak season, even a little before peak season. Just looking at the area, being able to deliver and see how they're set up. It, it was, it was a more like, you know, okay, well, why are we running this many vehicles? Why can't we combine this and this and maybe get rid of a couple of vehicles here and there? It was like two cities that we were purchasing there. And it's like, are you running two different companies within one or is it one together? Are we driving back and forth from one city to another city? What are we doing? There was a lot of wasted miles. I mean, it still happens, but it's yeah. all, it's a lot less now. And things like the, my biggest thing is I, I, I do maintenance. So vehicle was number one. When you're, when you're going that far, you have to have decent operating equipment. <laughs> you can't have just anything out there on the road, paying for towing, breaking down, wasting hours. Uh, more resources. All of those things go into account here. So you're talking about fleet strategy, AP equipment financing. You know, that's where both Fred and I, we've, we've, you know, I've been here for 12 years. We work with FedEx ground contractors on truck acquisitions. And, uh, you know, we get all kinds of requests. You know, hey, I want to buy a used truck from another contractor, private party sale. We can do that. I want to get new trucks. Obviously, that's really our bread and butter. That's where we have the most resources. But I've noticed a significant change over the years uh, in that, you know, when I first started working with this company 12 years ago, most of the requests that we were getting were, hey, I want to buy a 12-year-old diesel step van and I'm looking for some financing. And today the requests are overwhelmingly, I want to get a brand new Ford step van gas engine, uh, but I, I definitely want to buy brand new. And in talking with people, the shift in thinking Seems to be the new trucks are obviously a little bit more expensive, but breakdowns are so bad for business and really just cut into things. Is that your experience too? And, and what is your fleet strategy when you think about new versus used, having the right vehicle on the right route, and um, and how do breakdowns factor into all of that? I laugh because <laughs> yeah. he wants me to buy new vehicles it's, all the time. <laughs> I think this is a perfect, like you cannot ask anyone better than once. Because yeah. it's two different answers you're going to get here. So, um, <laughs> so on my side of things, doing the two route purchases, we also bought two very different used fleets. So one was very used, breaking down. Older, yeah. yeah, they were really, they need a lot of love and we're still not done with that process. And then the second one was a new adventure for us because they're mostly diesel. So that was new and... Those trucks were very well maintained. The owner of those vehicles, he would come in very much like Vinit, do his own service, do his own maintenance. He knows every nut and bolt of those vehicles. They were very well taken care of. So taking on those used trucks, great. Taking on the other used trucks, I can't wait to flip those, which is not something I would normally say. I try to hold on to our vehicles past that five-year mark. So every month you can get more than five years, you're starting to make that money back. 
most loans are five years long. So we've done a very good job at our first original building um, and our original trucks. Vanit's been able to push those trucks from five years to six and seven years. Eight. Eight. So because he does the maintenance. So it's very dependent. If you're going to buy a used truck, I would say it's very dependent on who maintained them and what level they did that. When, again, when he first started with me and took over as a manager, he was like, you have to replace all these vehicles. Not to speak frankly, but that's what he does. They're garbage, right? And I'm like so offended. Oh, no, there are babies and you just need to maintain them and they haven't been maintained well enough. I've been struggling with that. And we did a hybrid approach. The ones that really were struggling, we went ahead and retired. Um, I was able to get a couple of grants um, and switch to the CNG vehicles. So that took a very long time, but we got two vehicles very cheap through that program. And then again, I'm working through grants right now to get five electric vehicles. So that helps offset costs as well. So when we do buy, and we've bought plenty of new trucks, yes, but I also look outside of, you know, the let's just buy a brand new truck. What else can we do? Are there grants out there? Is there some way to offset that cost? And the other thing that Vanit does really well is if he asks to purchase something, he's also willing to contribute in some way. So if that means he can reduce a route, if that means he can cut labor somewhere, um, he's a very creative person because he knows if he spends all the money, I'm going to throw my hands up and say, hey, I don't know what we're doing here. So I'm very lucky in that respect is he, I guess, appreciates how hard it is to be able to purchase new vehicles. New vehicles are expensive, you know, and a, a lot of people think about, you know, should I do new or used? And, and look, at the end of the day, it's a business. So you're going to put money in and your 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 job as a business owner is to maximize the amount of money coming out and maximize the profit. So if you're going to make a case for buying new vehicles all the time, there should be a financial argument for that. Vinit, tell us a little bit about your perspective. I, I think Liz had said that maybe the two of you aren't totally in alignment on this all the no, time. We are. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, like she said, I like new vehicles. So anytime we need to get something, we're, we have not purchased used vehicles until the two CSA that we have just acquired. That's the only reason we bought those, uh, used vehicles because they came with it. Right. But other than that, ever since I've been here, we haven't purchased anything used. The reason I don't like that is when I first started here, it's like, okay, well, you have these older vehicles. What's going to happen? Breakdowns. Like you said, right? Downtime. I mean, if you, if you blow a motor, that's good. Depending on what it is, it's eight to 12 grand. So, okay. Transmission, another $8,000. If you put in all of that into it, I mean, you, you should have just purchased a brand new vehicle. You're going to buy a used vehicle for what? $20,000 discounted price. You just paid for that a new transmission and new motor. You don't know how it was maintained. If I, if we buy a brand new, I have my hands on it from day one. Guess what? I know what's going on with it. It will be maintained. There won't be any downtime with it. Even purchasing the really beautiful fleet that we just did, we have vehicles that went down recently. It's like, okay, well, I didn't know they were hiding these things or, you know, there were this issue with it. If I had known that, okay, well, I could watch it and maintain it, but I didn't know. So now the vehicle is down. So we have three vehicles that are down in that fleet too. But 
Like she said, our original fleet, I mean, everything is up and running still. <laughs> we do not have any, actually, that fleet is supporting the other ones. <laughs> yeah, that so, fleet is in the other CSA that had the most used vehicles. I think we have four or five of our original fleet, the older trucks, yeah. supporting over at that other station while we're fixing and maintaining the trucks that we purchased. It's, it's all because it was maintained by us from day one. That's all. So have you ever bought a used truck from like out of state, sight unseen? I don't no. think we ever would either. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> um, I, I, I just like newer. Now, don't get me wrong. The newer vehicles, I don't like them for warranty or, you know, any service plants that come with it. Because guess what? That's just a waste of my time. I don't like using warranty. She will tell you something else, obviously, right? But I don't because the downtime on that, it's ridiculous. Yeah. I mean, we'll have a truck. We've had a truck in for almost a year now. It's like, I could have had that yeah. fixed in a week. Yeah, that truck is eight months sitting at the dealership. And every time I get an update, yes, it's still under warranty. We're fixing it, but they have to go through the approval process. So everything that they find... They take pictures, they upload it, they've got to send it in, they got to get approval. And that takes sometimes three weeks to a month just for that. And then they can install the parts. I'm kind of happy that in that direction, just because I think that that particular truck was a can of worms, meaning we went to the dealership for one warranty item and then it ended up being several. So if we had opened that truck up ourselves, we, you know, would have been putting more and more money into it. But that's not typically the case. Usually he knows exactly what's wrong. The transmission's blown. Okay, we can fix fix it. And the turnaround time is fairly short. So that's really interesting. So we're talking about downtime is it, that's like the worst thing that that can happen, right? For a truck. I mean, you do everything in your power to eliminate downtime. And you obviously have your own capabilities to service and repair trucks. But Vinit, you're talking about if a truck has a warranty and it's under warranty, you can't touch it yourself to fix that. You need to take it into the OEM manufacturer dealer and allow them to go through their warranty process, which can take a long time, right? You had said, man, I could have that truck fixed this week. It's been there for months because it's going through the warranty process. It's an interesting perspective. Tell us a little bit more about downtime rentals, uh, you know, a lot of people tuning in are going to say, man, you know, I had a truck break down and I had to drive out there myself and go rent a Penske box truck and you have to unload all the packages. It's a huge pain. Tell us a little bit more about what your process is for dealing with that. Well, we've been fortunate enough to have extra vehicles. So we have not rented anything except during peak. We do have a, a, a good supply of vehicles right now, I would say. But regardless of that, I mean, even if we do have a breakdown on the road, I still have to take a vehicle down there to transfer packages. And it literally is the worst thing. I, it, the, the way I do it is I will go out there myself or she will go out there or we'll meet together because we don't honestly don't put that on anyone else because we know we'll do it the fastest. Okay. If you put drivers out there or anybody else, it's going to take that much longer. <laughs> so we do it ourselves. I, I, that's one of the reasons that I do a lot of things myself is because I, I, I want it done right. I want it done quickly and I want it done now. Vinit, moving beyond just the trucks breaking down, why don't you give us like two or three best practices that you feel like you have dialed in really well that all contractors should abide by? You know, if you had a friend who is thinking about getting into the business of being a FedEx contractor, 
you know, and they're, they're their own BC, they're going to be running it. What are like two or three pieces of advice that you would have to offer to them? Be ready to spend the hours, long, long days, even every single day. Still, we have many managers now. We have lots of BCs. I still spent, oh God. I think you typically work a 12 hour day. And that's on a good day because yeah. that's six to six. <laughs> I, usually yeah. don't. I mean, I'm usually, I, I don't get home till about eight, nine o'clock at night. And, and then I get home and I do DRO after that. So my biggest thing would be, be prepared to put in the time to get that return. You, you, otherwise, you're just not going to know what's going on. Be prepared to put in that time. Do it yourself. Don't rely on others to do it. Now, you can't teach others to do it. This is what Liz and I argue about all the time because she's trying <laughs> to get me to get others to do it. But mm-hmm. if it's not done right, I'm going to get irritated and go do it myself. So depending on how big you are, I would say just be ready to put in the time. And, and the other biggest thing for me is I will not ask anyone else to do something if I'm not going to do it. Okay. So even if it's a route, I have done every single route in RCSA. Now it might not be as good as some of the drivers, but I will be better than most, but I'm not going to ask them to do something that I will not do. That's my perspective. I know others have others. (laughs) (laughs) Well, actually, Vineet taught me a lot when he came on as a manager because I had had another manager. I was kind of, I wasn't remote, but I wasn't all that into the day-to-day operations. Um, So when I decided, okay, I'm going to go all in, then Vineet very shortly came in and started managing. And he was like, oh, you got to drive you would need to know how, what this feels like for drivers every single day. And I had been on the truck before, but just as a helper, yes, knowing how to lift and carry packages, but putting my myself in the driver's seat and doing what a driver does, it gives you that respect for the driver. And even now I've been out of the driver's seat for six months to a year, you know, a Drove a little bit during peak, yeah. but outside of that, this has been the longest time since he took over as manager that I've been out of that driver's seat and I still have that respect and I will never lose that respect for the drivers. And that goes a long way. When I walk into a building and I can still put packages in at the proper spot in the truck and I know what they do and I can sympathize with them, it goes a really long way. And like he said, I mean, I don't think I've driven every single route since we've grown but it's too many. (laughs) Yeah. But most of them I've seen at least bits and pieces of all of them. And that tells you a lot about your business. So I second what he said, be willing to put in the hours, because like I said, we put in a lot of hours. I'm putting in less than he is now, but that doesn't mean if he needed something, you know, he's doing maintenance. We have a breakdown wherever I am. If he needs that support, I'm, I cancel everything that I have and I am over there. You know, I have kids and my kids even know work comes first. If something, if the phone rings, I got to go. It's just this business that we're in. If you don't do that, guess what? You're relying on someone else to do it for you. So if you're relying on your drivers, they will take advantage of that at some point. You have to have that, be able to have that capability of going in somewhere. And if something is going on, if you have to take a badge, if you have to send someone home, maybe you don't have extra drivers, but you are there. I'm sorry. You know, it's not a threat to anyone, but it's like, well, 
if you're relying on others to do it, you won't be able to do it. So be willing to put in the time. Don't be afraid to get your hands dirty. Drive yourself so that you can empathize with what they do and actually have credibility when you tell them to do certain things. Give us one more. What's one more kind of you know tip that everyone should follow if they're in this business? Might have one more. Do you have one? Good. No. Good. I mean, I'm sure. Or one each. One, one, e- one each. Mean, there's, there's just so many. It's hard to like pinpoint. I, I mean, for me, get this. You know, get someone like this. <laughs> I feel like this is a very rare situation that we have because over the last five, six years, we have built the trust where if I do for some reason say, hey, look, I need two hours, no interruptions, whatever it may be. He's already running a day to day anyway. He already is taking care of the business and running it like it's his own. I don't think a lot of AOs have that. I don't think that that's very common in this industry where typically the AO is doing everything he's doing. So I'm very lucky in that regard. You build a team that you can trust. And now I am trying to get him to build his team underneath them and to build that trust with them. But it takes a long time. And that's that's for all the BCs that listen to this. It's treat it like your own. Don't be an employee. It's it's not going to get you anywhere. You're just going to jump contract to contract, uh, AO to AO, right? If you treat it like your own, you put in the blood, sweat, and tears <laughs> into it, the hours into it, I mean, the return is there. Like, I'm telling you, I mean, like, I know a lot of these FedEx contractors, they'll put the open their wallets up, right? But if you can show that, you can prove that, it's the opportunities there. It will happen. I promise you that. And I could show people to do it, but no one wants to listen. So <laughs> it can be tough. It can be tough to find good yeah. people for sure. Well, hey, we, we've been going for a while now. I think the last thing that I'd like to touch on is Liz, you've been in this business for a long time and you've seen a, a lot of change over the years. You know, you had started right after the RPS transition, where it transitioned from RPS to FedEx. Uh, you've lived through the independent contractor to ISP transition. Um, you've gone through overlap, or I'm assuming you've gone through over the overlap of ground and home delivery and everything that went on there. And now the conversation is things like around things like the express integration. Tell us a little bit about what are you excited about for the future and where does NorCal logistics go from here? Well, I think, you know, the biggest thing with FedEx is it's always changing. So if you can't live in that world, it's not for you, right? So we like the challenge of, okay, we overlapped. We got comfortable there. Oh, look, COVID hit. Great. Let's explode again. Let's be busy. So as long as you are looking for that ever-changing, that's what I love about the business is we're never bored because... Either FedEx is mandating a change or Express is coming in. Like we're excited for what that looks like, where I know a lot of contractors are slightly fearful of what that might look like. Well, I think that's a good place to wrap up. Liz, Vanit, I really appreciate your time. Thank you for coming on the show and uh, best of luck to both of you. Thank you. Thank you.
Routing for Success is brought to you by AP Equipment Financing. In today's competitive market, it is essential to acquire the right trucks at a fair price and finance them in a way that makes sense for your business. Leveraging their extensive network of truck and van suppliers, the experts at AP Equipment Financing will help you locate the best deals on step vans, cutaways, panel vans, and more. Deliver them straight to your facility and finance them with low monthly installment options. Click the link in the description or visit APFinancing.com for more information. Routing for Success is an independent production of AP Equipment Financing and is in no way affiliated with or endorsed by FedEx Corporation, FedEx Ground, Amazon, or any other logistics company discussed herein. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Routing for Success.